Yo, and welcome back to yet another episode. And I've got to say, this episode is up there. What a journey. Yo, what a roller, roller coaster of an episode, man. And like we've said it before. Yes. This one, this one is right up there. I mean, the conversations were so deep. We had a we had a laugh along the way as well. But my yeah. days, we spoke about some topics today. Oh, I need to lie down. I need to lie down. I've got to say, we spoke nah, with we spoke with um, a good pal of mine, Andy. He is a forensic collision investigator for the Staffordshire Police. So yeah, there is some uh, some pretty deep and sad conversations during this episode. So there is a, definitely a trigger warning there. But yeah, before, yeah. But before we get involved, you do have some mentions, my friend. I've got two mentions. With me, as you are aware, we are aware that I've been leaving Vale. I want to say a big shout out to Samuel, who kindly gave me a 2021 Bell Scarf for me to take to Scotland. Hey. And I appreciate it so much. Sam, thank you, bro. Also a big shout out to Jack Ellis. As we know, he's been doing this fundraising um, campaign for Mind Charity. And he's now 40 pounds away from raising a thousand pounds so if wow. you guys can get on his page support it they've got one more thing that i might ask you bid to jump in on us with it yeah man live streaming fortnight session hopefully next week i'll be honest with you mates i've not played much fortnight for a while but i've, I have been, a I've been smashing a lot of call of duty Warzone, but yeah. i'll jump on fortnight mate for sure Let's go. But yeah. For sure. Definitely. Get involved in that. <laughs> Let's go. Ooh. So enjoy this episode. Remember, if you are struggling, Samaritans, give them a ring. 116. One, two, three. Enjoy. <laughs> Men United Podcast with Bids and Monty. Yo, Andy, welcome aboard, my friend. Welcome aboard. Morning. Nice Sunday morning. morning. Can't beat a nice Sunday morning. It is. Sun's out. Glorious day. It is. Woke up. It isn't raining anyway. No, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. (laughs) To be fair, all all week, like, all week, the weather prediction has just been completely off. Yeah. Yeah. Like, where I'd be at work and I'd see the sun popping through the window. Next minute, I'd hear the hail smashing the roof. You just don't know what's going on with it at all. <laughs> it might be wet. It might be dry. It might be. We We're don't not know. sure. <laughs> That's it. So, you are a forensic collision investigator for Staff's Police. I am, yeah. Now, guess what I was doing yesterday? Crashing cars. No, no. <laughs> I was actually 
watching some uh, investigation videos. Really? Yes. On how they do things. Right. On how to get away with things. No. (laughs) No way. I'm not that kind of guy, mate. No, basically just... It's just it's intriguing stuff because a lot of it blew my mind because you you see like you see a crash like I've I've been on the M6 and I've been stuck in traffic right and I'm like checking me checking me map see what's going on nothing on me there's nothing happened but then I've as I've gone further down there's been a crash on the other side of the M6 and you're getting people slowing down to have a nose. Oh yeah, yeah, it's mad. But that happens all the time. Yeah, and I saw I was watching a few videos yesterday on how they do things, and it's actually quite intense on how they look at things. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so much things that can could have been the reason to the crash. And would it be right in me saying that most of the time? A crash is led to human error. Um, probably nine times out of ten, it's human error. Um, yeah, very rare that you'll have anything that's down to a mechanical defect. Yeah, that's what we call, um, you know, like a tire blowout or something like that. I mean, yeah, I'm just trying to think. I can't really ever think of one where I've been to a collision where it's not human error. To be honest, yeah. Yeah, because it's because the main main reason why I started watching the video was because obviously we've got you on, and I wanted to get a bit more of an insight of what your job entails, because it's because yeah. yeah, it's in the title, but after watching, because I must have watched about three or four hours worth of like these videos, somewhere over here, which I found a lot more interesting. And then there was some in America which were just do a crazy mate. Do this is crazy, <laughs> crazy shit, mate. And and to be fair, after the four hours of watching, I felt like I just felt drained. Cause the there's so much that entails and you're seeing so much just so much sadness, really. Yeah. So obviously when yeah, you, you do. Yeah, so when you're pulling up to when you're pulling up to a collision, I think before before you get there, what's what's running through your head? I, uh, is it something that you can control? You know what you go well, you kind of know you get an idea from the control room. Um, yeah, what what kind of job you're going to? So if it's a confirmed fatality, um, the deceased tends to remain um remain in situ for a lot of the time they're still trapped within the vehicle yeah um and and we leave or we ask that the fire service leave um the person there just so we can photograph them um because there might be some evidence around them or even on them yeah um so we do ask for them to to leave them as they are and they are the ones i suppose where on one hand, on one hand, you're having to drive with blue lights on, so you're having to concentrate on yeah. your driving. Yeah. Uh, and then you've also got to be thinking, 
right, what do I need to do when I get there? Because you become, I suppose, really process-driven. Yeah. Um, so you have to think, right, what will I do when I first get there? I'll speak to him, I'll speak to her, I'll do this, that, and the other. Um, and then I suppose it then starts creeping in. God, what am I going to get when I, you know, yeah. when I arrive there? What state are they going to be in? And yeah, um, yeah. But so there's lots of stuff to really think about as you as you get in there. Yeah, because there's a lot. There's obviously a lot of evidence that normal people like myself. I don't like using the word normal people, but I just did anyway. Like if I. If I came with you on a on a, a job and there's been a big crash, I'd be just looking at this car thinking, you know, what oh, what the fuck? You know, yeah. what, what am I looking for? But after And actually that does happen to us as well. I mean, I've been yeah. to jobs where you sort of think you stand there and you're scratching your head and you sort of, I'm struggling to find any evidence here to see and they're the worst ones. Yeah. Because you you kind of have to use your nous and your experience and uh, to tr- to try and sort of piece together what's happened because I suppose my job is a big jigsaw puzzle. Yeah, and you just have to try and get it as close as you can, you know, by reconstructing it and gathering the evidence. But uh, yeah, there are times where I've stood there, and especially if you've got people there uh, saying, "Well, this witness says this happened, and that witness says that happened." Yeah. That isn't really fitting with what I'm thinking here. Yeah, yeah, because um, from what I saw, um, tire marks are a, a big one. Like, yeah, they give a, they give a lot of information, right? Yeah. Um, and if there's no tire marks, it makes it a bit harder. It does, but uh, nowadays you only get tire marks really, uh, or locked wheel marks in cars where there's no ABS. So if the ah, ABS is right. yeah. the vehicle, because the obviously the idea of ABS is that you, it doesn't lock the wheel, yeah. but you can get um, sort of ABS marks, very light scuffs, um, but it's very rare really that you, it's only once the car's lost control and it starts to rotate that you'll yeah. tend to get marks. Um, yeah. So yeah, see, so you you, nowadays you you rely heavily on vehicle technology. Yeah. Yeah. Of course to what the vehicle was doing at any given time yeah yeah because you're saying you're saying as well like um because especially in the one i watched that was in america they get a hell of a lot of um people going through red lights and it's like side uh, hitting the side of the car so yeah. that is they said they said on there that's like the worst that is the worst collision that you can have yeah um but when but when there was on the one I watched, there was no there was no tire marks, mm-hmm. there was no brakes, um, so the the car that was going across, which was on green at the time, obviously didn't need to brake. But then the car that was coming, that was in the red light, should have brake, but didn't brake, and it just mm. smashed it. But then there was a completely different spin because uh, there was no survivors. There was no survivors in that. I I don't know how the investigation had come about because there's never any CCTV around places like that. Uh, Well, I mean, you can re even without survivors, you can reconstruct using sort of maths and physics. Yeah. Um, I I won't bore you. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> momentum exchanges and things like that. But, ah, right, okay. Yeah, so you can use, um, in certain circumstances anyway, yeah. you can use the maths and physics to sort of try and reconstruct what, what you think happened. Yeah. Well, what's it, what would you say it's been like for yourself and your, and your colleagues? Because it must be, because um, you turn up to some horrific scenes, what what what's it been like mentally for yourselves and your colleagues? Do you speak about do you speak about it afterwards or we do. Um I mean, I mean there are two sorts of um two halves really to the collision investigation side of well three really. You've got um my role, which is the forensic reconstruction, and we sort of turn out and try and we photograph, we survey, recover any forensic and physical evidence from a scene. Yeah. And then you've got the investigators who um, deal with what I call the human aspect. So they'll get witnesses, um, gather CCTV, uh, do the interviews of any offenders, that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then you've got the family liaison officers who deal with the family of the bereaved. Yeah. Um, and I, I've done two of the three roles. So before I did the forensic side, I was an investigating officer. And in some respects, I found that far more difficult because you're dealing with the human side of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember one, probably the worst um, sort of incident I dealt with for the human side of it was um, an 18-year-old lad um, killed himself by walking in front of a, a vehicle, a wow. vehicle, and um, without getting into the specifics of it, and once we'd done certain investigations into it, like his search history and stuff like that, and then spoken to friends, it was fairly obvious that um, he was perhaps feeling a bit of pressure from his mum. Oh right, to do well at college and all that sort of stuff. And there were all of the sorts of issues going on in the background. Yeah. And I remember her ringing me up once at work and just crying and screaming down the phone at me saying, Andy, Andy, why has he done it? Why has he done it? Yeah. And I remember sort of sitting there and thinking, what the fuck am I meant to say to that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, because if I don't tell you, I'm not answering your question. Yeah. I'm not. But if I do tell you, am I going to make it a whole shit worse for you as well? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, and I, I, I kind of ended the conversation. I can't even remember what I said to her. Yeah. And just had to sort of put my coat on and just go and walk around the town centre for 10 minutes just to sort of clear my head because that really, it was like a snow, uh, an avalanche just coming towards you, you know, with questions and, yeah. and emotion from her. Quite understandably, I suppose. But, um, yeah, that, so that, that, that side of thing is really tough. I, I find that. Um, with the what we're doing now, the, the forensic side of it, I always remember when I was being tutored in the role, uh, one, of the, one of the sort of senior collision investigators saying to me, the weirdest thing you'll ever do is look down the lens of a camera and try and zoom in and focus it to a dead body. Wow. And it's true. Wow. Um, but... Was and this I think before you ever did anything. Sorry, was this before that like, you ever experienced anything like that? Yeah, because I mean, I'd obviously been to throughout my service, 
as a sort of local or divisional response officer, you're the first to turn up at these scenes. So I've been to collisions, all of, all of my service, but I've never really had to pay that much attention to what's within the scene, if you're with me. Um, and it was only once you start to forensically look at what's within the scene that um, I think for me then the um, I suppose I, I've got underlying mental health problems anyway so certainly with depression and generalised anxiety disorder Yeah, but that wasn't really a, a sound foundation to build on because as soon as you started introducing trauma to that for me it just snowballed and snowballed and then in, in, at the end of 2019 um, I ended up going off set for four, four or five months yeah that's, essentially that's, my brain just stopped working yeah i suppose i suppose that's <clears throat> i suppose that's natural though isn't it? i think that would happen to anyone wouldn't it it does i mean one of the doctors said to me that the problem with police officers is you've got to be resilient to do your job yeah but because you're resilient it does your mental health no good because you sort of keep plodding on regardless yeah and adding more it's more plates to spin and you're not really ever dealing with it as you're going along um i mean we t we do speak sort of within the team to each other yeah um you know and i'll, I'll speak to the sergeant about how i'm feeling if i'm feeling crap or tired or or if, you know and if i'm feeling good as well yeah um, so we do try to talk and we do have mandatory welfare as well so we have to have uh, welfare visits. I think it's once every six months. Do um, do the police have like um, an internal therapist or psychologist? We've, yeah, we've got um, the occupational health team who yeah. work for the police and the fire service. Ah, right, okay. Um, so they've got um, a doctor, nurses, and counsellors, and therapists, that sort of thing. Um, so I see one of their counsellors, um, Julie, a um, couple of times a year, if not more. Yeah. But I mean, no, she, she's really good because I've got a mobile number and I can ring her or text her if I feel like I need to as well. Yeah, that's that's a good thing. I've said, I, I think it was, I think, I'm, I think it was about, must have been round about last year, November sometime, I think I, I asked you if they did have any kind of help within the police. Yeah. Um, it's. I, I think policing in general. It's it's a really sort of, to talk about men, mental health, especially men's mental health, can be quite um, daunting, for, especially I suppose for for more uh, mature blokes. Yeah. Um, because it's I suppose still to some degree seen as you've got to be very very manly and. You know, you've got to be hard and you've got to be able to go in a pub fight and handle yourself and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And to some degree, yeah, that's true. But also as well, you, you have to remember that we're human beings um, and we react and feel and have the same emotions to everybody else out there. Um, it's just that to some degree, we have to manage them a lot more. So, for example, my job is to forensically examine something scene yeah and 
I can't forget what I see because in 18 months' time, I'll perhaps be in Crown Court having to explain that and be cross-examined about it. So yeah. I can't forget what I saw or what I did. Yeah. And then seven years down the line, I might have to talk about it again at a civil court. Wow. So it's, and all of this kind of builds up. Yeah. It's just how you deal with it and process it and manage it, I think. So do you end up going court quite often then? Um, yeah, I mean, we tend we tend really to go to either the coroner's courts or the um, Crown Court. Is that is that the Crown Court across from Manly Police Station? Yeah. Oh. Or Stafford. Yeah. Depending you... on whereabouts the incident's happened. I've, I've, I've been there. I've been there, mate. Have you? <laughs> I have, yeah. I have. Can I ask why? Oh, that would be that would be um, that would be telling uh, telling something no, hey. confidential there. If you started it, you better finish it, bro. So come on, why? I was I was I was on I was on I was on a jury. All ah, right, okay. Oh, you uh, were sitting on the right side of the fence then. I was on the right side, <laughs> definitely. Um, I can't remember when it was. Quite a while ago now, quite a while ago. Um, but I tell you now, what an experience, man! Jesus Christ! Yeah, Jesus think, Christ! People think it's all like um, you know, you, a bit cabin, cabin a QC, and it's just blokes and women wearing wigs and cloaks. Oh God! But there's so much more goes into it than that. Uh, yeah, we got we we've got everything in this in this chat. You know, we got a police officer. You've got someone who's being caught on the right side, and you've got someone who's being caught on the left side. Can I defend this case? <laughs> did you have a Did you have a jury there, Monty? Yeah, it was horrible, man. Like, so obviously, I talk about it openly, and I got um, accused and charged with uh, rape in back in two thousand and. 12? No, 2014 was the trial, though. The trial was in 2014, I think it was, yeah. And it was horrible. Obviously, I didn't do anything, but it was just how the stories were matching and yeah. I was scared and I was saying anything I shouldn't have said and I went to court. And, and you're right as well in regards of when you witness something and then you have to memorise it. And then re- try and repeat it in court. So that my thing was it happened in 2012, and then the trial wasn't in it was 2014. Mm. So throughout that whole year, even though I was coming last playing my football and that, I was still having to go back and memorize and yeah. think and read and read all the statements and read all the interviews. And so you couldn't leave my head, and then it would just mm. boom, 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 and it was just horrible. Yeah. I had a jury in then, and it's just how you got to come across and the pressure, obviously, for me, for you guys, I know probably for Andy and even you, Biz, obviously, being on that side, it's, it's pressure either way. Jury, you have to make sure you make the right decision, and for police yeah. officer, you make sure you make the right statement and the right outcome is, is made. And yeah. for me, it was just about making sure that I came across as I knew it didn't happen. And it's just so hard to control your emotions. And oh, it's horrible, man. But it's mad how hey, three people are <laughs> hey. different, different, different angles. 
honestly, honestly, mate, I don't know if you've don't know if you've done it before, but if any of the listeners have done it before, you know, yeah. if any of the listeners have done it, been on the jury duty, or been on the other side, whichever, let us know. But it is, it is one mental roller coaster. Okay, yeah. from from the, from the start, from the from when you get that pink letter, mate. I got home. I had a pink letter that summoned me to the court, and I shit myself. I was like, "What have I done?" So I'm trying. <laughs> I'm going through my head, thinking, "I haven't. I haven't done anything." That's before I've opened the letter. <laughs> and then I've opened the letter. And we like, feel like that, you know. When yeah, you get you get the um, court warning. Yeah. And you think, oh, and you do get that sort of <laughs> knot in your stomach. Yeah. And, you know, well, I did do it for a job. Yeah. Um, because you, you, are, you know fair well that nine times out of ten, you're going to be completely, uh, you'll be scrutinized. You'll probably have a defense virus to try and make you look stupid. Yeah. Um, and it is some, I don't like to use it as part of the game because it isn't a game, but sometimes <clears> it kind of feels like it is. I felt like I was in um, some kind of Cluedo, mate. Yeah. Big time, honestly. Because I got there on the on the day, and I think for the first three days, I sat in a waiting room for six or seven hours doing nothing. Mm. And mentally, I was bored. I couldn't go out the room or anything. I felt like there's was... a lot of hanging around. Yeah, the lot. Yeah. So what? Uh, so if you go to it, if you get called for jury duty, you don't know what you're going in for. You don't know what the case is going to be. You get there, you sit in a room, and you wait. You just wait. You're not one. You can only see the other people that are with you that are on have been called up for jury duty. You're just in a room. It's locked. That's it. Six hours for three days. Three days. Mm. And then, yeah, well, finally, finally, the case came along. And then, even then, it's not guaranteed you're going to be on the jury, right? You're not guaranteed? No, because they, they need, I think it's, is it eight? Eight jurors, I think. Twelve. Twelve. And there was 18 of us that went up. And obviously, we all had a number. And I was like, please, my number needs to be called here. My number was the last one be called. Last one, mate. I was like, oh, finally. Finally. <laughs> but then from there, it just it just it's a roller coaster, mate. Because the defense barrister was it was unreal. It was unreal. It it making you think, oh mm. not not done that. But then the the prosecutor guy, he was like, amazing. I was like, oh, he might have, he might have done it, actually. And then <laughs> and then the defense guy gets up. He's like, oh, yeah, actually, yeah, might not have done it now. And that's why it was like. Yeah. And I, I'd, I'd go home and I'd be mentally exhausted because I wouldn't be able to stop thinking about it. I'd but you be, can't talk about it, And you, can can't, you talk, can't talk about it, no. And I'm, so I'd be there chilling in the bath thinking going through all the evidence that I've witnessed and I'd be like oh, mm, yeah and then I'd be playing it out again mm. and I'd be doing that 
every night after. It took me, it took me ages to finally just like stop thinking about it. Mm. Mad, mad. And so, I think as a, as a juror as well, you have to see some of the certainly in the cases we deal with, you're shown some of should, the evidence. So photographs. I, I was shown. On. Yeah, I, we got shown everything in the case yeah. that we were on. It was wow, just mm-hmm. wow. Just I think what makes it worse is the fact that you go through a roller coaster built filled with emotions and all these things, thoughts and feelings, but then you can't then speak them out, you can't share them with your partner, you can't share them with your family, you can't do anything until the whole case is solved. And even that even after the case is solved, you get told you can't talk about this, you can't mention this, you can't say this. So you're still in your head and you need someone to just let it out. You need to yeah. speak out. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very hard, hard thing to do. You know, I've got a lot of my mates and some of my family members saying they were jealous of me for because they won't be on the jury and stuff. And I wouldn't do it again. There's no way. I, know, I, I think know some you... people, it's, you know what? Um, in the old days where they there'd be a hanging or something and you have the yeah. old women sitting there with the netting. Oh, I think yeah. some people think that's what it is. You just sat yeah. there watching someone's yeah. demise. And yeah. It isn't like that at all, is it? No way. I was going to bid. So you see that when you went through your thing, yeah, came time to decide whether guilty or not guilty. Yeah. How hard was that for you? Well, this is going to be difficult, you know, because I can't, I can't really go out and say, you know, boof. I won't, I won't tell you, I won't tell you. But no, it was odd. I, I was kind of set on my decision that this person was guilty, and then I remember having an argument with this woman in the in the jury room, full blown mate, full blown argument with this woman, because. She was, she was basically just saying that I was wrong. And I was listening to the opinion that she was giving. And he understood it. I was quite quite calm. But then she started kind of belittling what I was saying. So do you know what I did? You know what I did? I, I stayed calm. I got up. I got the TV remote. Put the TV on. Put the police body cam on. And I went through from the first stage to the end and she changed the mind. She <laughs> changed the mind. Yeah. It's, it, it, That's it was, what you have to do, isn't it? Yeah. It was, it, was, it was a long time. It was a long time because at the end of the day, someone else's life's in your hands. You know, they, they yeah. get yeah, going to prison, obviously. That person... I you know, would have had a family behind him. Might, might have had kids behind him. You you don't know these things, and that's what yeah. runs through, that what runs through your head. So it is difficult, but yeah, it was hard, mate. It was definitely hard, and I I wouldn't do it again. No way, right. not a chance. I mean, how how would you how would you feel, Monty, if you were on the jury duty and you got given a case, right? I don't think I would, what, knowing what I've been through yeah. myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't ever want to do it. 
Yeah. Because my whole time was every day I was going into court and then going home, I was saying to myself, I'm innocent, but that doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. My life is in someone else's hands. How hard was that for you, though, knowing that your life was in 12 people's hands? How hard was it, bro? Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't eat. I wouldn't eat anything. I was. I became aggressive toward my family. Yeah, yeah. Um, I started hating literally um, the females that I had close to my family, which was, say, like my mom and my missus at the time. Yeah. Like, I just started seeing them with different eyes. And I just sort of, for that period of time, I, I lost the love I had for them because I was going through that stage in my life because of a female. And then knowing that I was innocent, but then I could potentially be going to prison because of a female and a lie. But then knowing that my life was in those people's hands, it was just me was going to take out all that anger that and stress and like everything I was going through, those people taking out on the people that I loved and that loved me. So it was horrible. It was literally horrible. So if you ask me, would I ever want to experience what you experienced? I'll say no. Because I wouldn't want to put someone else's life in, behind bars or like, I, no, I don't know. I wouldn't want to do it, man. You, you're going to get a pink letter tomorrow. No, mate. <laughs> Monday morning. Also as well, I, I, the fact that you're here and you you were found not guilty uh, shows that the courts do work as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, those 12 people did come to the right decision. But it was, it was horrible. Yeah. What happened was, what happened was, in my case, yeah, to, to my, my two, well, my cousin and my friend who were, were all involved in it, they got found not guilty straight away. And it's me thinking, what about me? Like, because it was, it was done at yeah. same, same trial, but different cases. Yeah. And then they got found not guilty. And then all of a sudden, they're like, Chris, we don't know about you. I was like, huh? I said, what's going to happen with me then? Mm. And then then all that stress, then my anxiety, my everything just built up even more. My my cousin, my friend, were found not guilty and then there's me here. And I started watching then prison videos. Mm. And watching all, I started preparing myself mentally, thinking I'm going in, I'm done. Mm. And then I had to go in, I think it was a week later. And then... The officer that I was dealing with a case approached me and basically said, look, we're sorry to have put you through all of this, but we don't know why she basically done that, but obviously with the evidence and the, the interviews, obviously you guys' things didn't really match. Her thing didn't match either to what she was going to happen. Not, nothing made sense, basically, because mm -hmm. me and my cousin, my friends, never been involved in the police, but we were scared. So we were saying, so in my case, when they asked me, like, do you want a solicitor? I thought by saying yes, I'm immediately guilty. Yeah. That's what I thought. 
So I said, no, I don't need one because I'm not guilty. So I started saying things that I shouldn't have said, basically, or came across the way that I shouldn't have come across. But I was just being open and honest. Yeah. Maybe me being too open and too honest got me in trouble mm. to an extent. And, uh, mate, it was just horrible. It was the worst experience of my life, man. But I think, even though it's horrible to like my mom misses, yeah, but I thank them because they still stuck by me, still supported me, and they're the only two people that sort of believed in me mm. in that time. I would, I would have been brown breaded, man. I would have been dead or something because mm. I had my suicidal thoughts and I tried to do the dance, like take my life and sort of all of that. Mm. But thankfully I didn't and I got found. And I faced so like not faced the consequences, but I was strong enough, even though all the things that were going through my head, to stand the trial and believe in myself and always held hope and faith that things were gonna come out the other side and the right decision was gonna be made in the end. Yeah. But it was hard. Why why do you think people are scared of the police? Like in in, in the matter of Let's ring in them. Okay, let's... Because the work that Men United do, if someone's life's in danger through suicide, mm-hmm. um, nah, 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 and then the police are, the police are ring, the police are called. Yeah. Um, but from speaking to some of the admin and moderators on the on the page, they've, they've all told me that they're scared of ringing 999. I don't know. I mean, it might be the case that if you've never ever had any involvement with police or the police or police officers, yeah. Um, like I said earlier, there's this misconception that we're either, you know, we're all we're all racist, we're all sexist, we're all homophobic, we're all this, yeah, or we're all meatheads that like getting into a pub fight, meathead, yeah. or, <laughs> um. Well, the other thing is, well, I don't want to waste their time. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to waste the police's time with this. Yeah. So I, I think they, that, or you might have had a negative experience with the police, and it only takes one negative experience. If you only ever have any one experience with the police and it's negative, yeah, that then um, sort of stains your thought of policing for the rest of your life or until we can change it. Um, but like I said again, we are all human. Yeah. So I would never ever um, say don't ring the police or and there's there isn't any. I understand people might feel a bit of apprehension about being uh, in contact with police or police officers, but there is really no need. Yeah. There really is no need. You know, we go through the, exactly the same things as members of the public do because we are members of the public. Yeah. Yeah. So if it says that you've got somebody in distress or someone needs help, ring Trouble Nine because that's what we're there for to help. Um, I think I think police obviously from my past experiences, I've I got treated very good. Like even though my case was as high profile, for example, yeah, got treated very good and experiences as well like you said is is so important but then not everyone's the same as well so they could have a bad experience and that's what we as humans we tend to struggle with life sometimes just because 
one thing was a bad experience, we didn't think we can't try that again because it's going to get the same outcome. So like with the police, yeah. if you had a bad experience with police, obviously not every police officer is the same, but you do get some police officers that ain't going to lie, are not great, but that's with everything. You get you get some footballers, you get some electricians that ain't yeah. great. Hey, yo. <laughs> no, I'm not saying, hey, come on, my friend. My yes. friend, my friend. Yes. I'm not saying you're, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But just because you've had a bad electrician, you're going to be like, I'm not, I'm not calling that out of a company. Yeah, just exactly. A player like myself or a bad footballer or anything. No, I'm not I'm, I'm not not doing it. I'm not getting out of a player. So mm. it's about being open minded. Yeah. How's it? Uh, uh, sorry, go on. Go on, mate, go on, carry on. I think as well, people dependent on they have a, like a perception of what they think we will react to the situation like. So uh I think certain perhaps crimes and offences or issues aren't, they don't contact us because they think, well, they won't do anything about that anyway. Or, or like I say, it's, it's a waste of time. So I, I don't want to waste the police time. But I can't say firmly enough that you should always contact the deputies that you need help. Ring yeah. double nine. Yeah, definitely. So I've, I've, the first time I had to ring the police over, um, a guy being suicidal. I was I was pretty nervous because, like you say, I I thought I was I, I was wasting ta- wasting police time. I I thought it was a matter that the police wouldn't um, get involved in because mm. I was I wasn't it wasn't to my knowledge that the police do pretty much everything right. Yeah, we do. Like, yeah, pretty much everything. Um, so I felt I felt guilty ringing nine nine nine. Like you say, because of wasting that, wasting that phone call. Mm. Um. So, but I did it. I did it, and I rang them, um, and then I went up to the to the guy's house straight after I'd rang them, uh, because I had to ring an ambulance and the police from from what I was what he was telling me and what the pictures he was sending us, um, and having go up there. And witnesses to now they handled the situation was just absolutely amazing, like so calm, like there was there was no like abruption and you know treating him like shit. It was just dead calm and like dead nurturing. And the thing about that is, uh, we, was I certainly have never received any training on, on how to deal with people who are in mental distress or in a mental crisis. Yeah. So all that that you saw came from came from within that police officer yeah his or her own experiences yeah definitely and it was it was like rapid because the response was so quick yeah that was just about to ask you that as well but you've answered it and when you respond to a call like what bids are saying do then they choose which police officer gets sent out or they just choose whichever one's available it's who's available and who's the closest yeah, that's mad. It's good though. But imagine if you get sent to like, like you just said, if you have never experienced such a thing, how do you then try and get into this individual's mind? And how do you talk them out doing what they're about to do? Like that is, in my case, if I was to be called up, obviously I know what to say. But when someone is so deep into already committed to doing such a thing, how do you then? 
at that moment in time, you sort of convince them and reassure them that they they matter and they are they are loved, they're they're valued, and they're cared for. How do you reassure them that as a police officer? I don't think it's a matter of convincing them. I think the reassurance is more important um, because for those, I don't know, five, ten minutes, perhaps even longer that you're with them and they're at the height of their mental crisis, they do matter. Uh, and the fact that I or any other police officer or paramedic has sat with them shows that they matter because yeah. you've got two, three, four professionals all around you who are there to help you so you do matter um, and I think whether you've suffered from a sort of psychological illness like I have or whether you haven't to some degree everybody's been upset everybody's been hurt uh, let down dumped skinned whatever so you can apply your life experience to, to those situations. It's just depend, it just depends on sort of to what degree uh, you've been through yourself, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it must it's nice be... to have a police officer that's as happy as Larry. Never really had any mental health issues or anything. But like I said, at one point, they will have been through something that was a challenge so they can use that experience to yeah. um to help that other person yeah we, we've said it before our months you lived lived experiences oh, better God, than yeah. better than any degree you can get at university by a mile oh well, yeah the beauty of the men unite group is it's not cycle it's not mental health professionals it's peer-to-peer -peer. yeah yeah so and that that is really what we do at work yeah. We aren't mental health professionals as police no. officers. Well, no. you know, peer to peer, we can go and help somebody. I think yeah. that's the most important thing as well. Like lived experiences go a long way. Yeah. Especially if it's someone who is willing, like ourselves, and there's many people out there as well that are willing to use their experiences to help other individuals overcome their own experiences. And yeah. that goes such a long way because you can, you can never say, it's the same feeling or is the same situation because not no one goes through the same situation no you might experience something similar and you might overcome something that could be relatable to the person you're helping yeah but the feelings could never be the same but as long as you have experienced something as hard as that you can help anyone and if you have suffered or you've gone through any hardship or whatever you want to call it, I think it's so important to try and use that to help help anyone out there. And I think as well, a lot of the time, it's just sitting there almost being quiet and just listening because sometimes people just want to be heard. Yeah. Because they probably feel like for whatever reason, and for however long they've just been ignored and overlooked. Yeah. Whereas, so sometimes it is nice to just have someone to talk to, whether it be face to face, whether it be on the phone or a message or whatever. Um, 
and that's really kind of what we do. We go make sure they're okay, listen to them until the NHS can take over. Yeah, the, the, the mental health professionals. Yeah. So um, there was some good news the other uh, last week where um, we've actually got uh, a partnership with Stas Police now, Men United. Yeah. They're going to be working alongside the police. There's a lot more of that to come, so hopefully big things, better things, better mental health situations as well because yeah, yeah. because you think about, I bet there's, I don't know the, I don't know the percentage of phone calls 999 get around our area for, you know, mental health situations, but I bet it's, I bet it's high, you know. Yeah, I mean, they have um, specific cars now, double crewed cars with a mental health or a, a nurse or something like that. Yeah, uh, crewed up with police officers, and that, and that's all they do is go and respond to sort of mental health, yeah, um, crisis calls. Yeah, it is a, man- a big. I think in general, mental health is a massive uh, problem, and I, I don't know whether it's because of things like this where people are open about it or talking more about it. Yeah, people. <clears throat> feel like they can open up and then contact the police or the ambulance service. Yeah. Or whether life is a lot more stressful now. Do you know what I mean? I don't know yeah. whether it's always been there. It's I just, think it's more open now. Yeah, I think a lot of people, especially um, like our era and around our age groups, we have we have we haven't been speaking about his problems. We've kept them in for so many years and all of a sudden someone's come along and said so right it's okay to speak yeah so then, then you've it's like that um pot bottle as soon as you start opening that lid yeah boof yeah and, Boys, man. yeah and i think yeah it's good to talk but it's it's, yeah. it's it's even better to talk in a professional setting yeah I'd, yeah. I'd say, because um, you you let loose on some emotions that you've held in for twenty odd thirty years. You don't you don't know what could happen. You don't know what that's going to no. trigger. I think that's what's needed the most. I know we're we're raising awareness and we're making it more normal, especially as men. Obviously, we're, we're females. Obviously, you get some females that do bottle it as well, but. They find they find it more easy to speak, but with men because we've been brought up in a different way. Mm. But now we're making it more normal, and we're, which it is normal. It should have been normal from 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 years. But what is needed is is needed more in a professional environment where you can come into work. Well, I'm not saying like using it as an excuse not to work, but you can go into work and be like, lads, I feel down today, or girls, I feel down today because of this, this, and that, rather than I can't tell my bosses how I'm feeling because they won't listen, they're not going to pay attention to me, they're going to tell me to get up and man up and grow up and get on with it. And that is what needs to be changed make it we can make it normal and we can talk about it away from the work environment 
But then it's how you can then take into the professional environment where you can make it actually easy and make it a conversation that you can have with your bosses, with your colleagues and be like, you know, well, I don't feel good today, man, because of this and that. I don't feel great today. And be able to be listened to and be able to have the conversation with someone. And then if you get to the point where you can actually, you can't work because you're mentally drained or physically or your emotions are all over the fucking place, is be allowed time off. You know what? This is it. Because don't get me wrong, as much as we do it, mental health is still overlooked. Oh, God, yeah, massively. Uh, and massively where... Um, I'm, I'm going to stop, man. <laughs> it, it is, and I think, funnily enough, I... I um, I have to see a psychologist once a week um, because I, I have PTSD. Um, yeah. And we had the last session I had with her on Wednesday. Um, I, I, we discussed about the parity between physical injury and health and psychological injury and health and, and how... Um, how differently the two were treated or, or talked about. Um, and, and, and Monty, you just used the phrase about man up. And I think you have to be so careful of the language that people use surrounding yeah. mental health. Man up is one of the worst. That I'm a man. I can't become any more of a man. It's an utterly pointless saying. It means yeah. nothing. Uh, you know, what do they want me to do? Sort of grow bigger muscles or something. Grow it, an it, extra it, penis. Grow an extra bit. It, it means nothing, does it, man up? No. <laughs> I've heard it's at work. Man up, princess. You don't need someone to hold your hand. Man up, man up princess. Yeah. We've had that conversation plenty of times with bids as well about that word, and we've gone on and we've had rants about it because we hate it. Not yeah. bit. Yeah. We hate that. Yeah. Um, and another phrase that I hear, oh, uh, Andy's gone webble. Well, I haven't gone webble. I've just had a, a sort of psychiatric breakdown. I haven't gone webble. webble. You know, I haven't gone walking around the office with a pencil at my nose and my pants on my head. <laughs> it's I've got a psychological injury that's yeah. diagnosed. Yeah. And and a, a mate of mine at work fell off his motorbike and broke his arm. And the police federation um, gave him a bottle of whiskey, which was because he'd had an overnight stay in hospital and that's their policy brilliant I had an all and I was off sick for four weeks for four or five months yeah you can't see my injury and you can't see my scars it doesn't mean they're not there yeah and and that's one thing that I constantly try to talk about at work is the huge gulf and the way the two treated but they're all injuries and they're all illnesses um, it isn't um, just that you're having a shit day yeah you you're a bit knackered it's yeah. that you're dis you know it's that you've woken up disappointed that you've woken up that's it thank you, you know what i mean yeah i think i'm honest and borrowed bids and even you andy would agree with what i'm saying but i think it's totally bullshit with the way they see both physical and emotional mental yeah health uh, i think both of them or all of those things should be either treated equally or meant, meant the mental one should be treated higher than the physical one yeah 
I believe that. Or what do you guys reckon? No, you're right. I mean, you can break... God, when I was at primary school, I slept over on the ice and broke my wrist. It's probably 30-odd years ago now. Uh, and on occasions in the winter, I still get a twinge of pain every now and then. Well, 20 years ago, I lost my mum, and I still get those twinges of pain. Up here, it's just that, for whatever reason, people think that this is a lot less important than this. It's more Do you know powerful. what I mean? But to me, it's exactly the same. I think this yeah. is more powerful than anything. Oh, yeah, yeah. Your mind, you can move your fingers or your body, whatever, because of your mind. Because mm. of what person about it, like, up here. Yeah. And to think that this is less important than this. I'm not saying breaking your arm or hurting yourself physically is not important. It is, obviously, you need to be taken care of them. Yeah. If someone is suffering or you can see someone is not right, you've got to treat them as if they've just broken their whole body. Yeah. But I wonder, though, as well, whether it's because people people don't know what to say to you, you know. Yeah, 100%. I don't okay, think people thing. know how to approach you, how to... I mean, I was very lucky, really, because the people closest to me at work would come and visit me when I was off sick. Yeah. Um, but sort of none of the bosses did make any... You know, they didn't make any contact with me. Um and I wonder whether it is because at a management level or wherever, they, they kind of don't know how to approach you. They don't know what to say. They don't know what language to use in case they offend you. But it's an injury. An injury is an injury. It makes no difference whether it's your brain or, like yeah. you say, your arm. Yeah, see, I've, I've got mates that get quite uncomfortable when I start talking about like mental health and like yeah. the issues the issues I've had and you can tell in the body language the you get a bit yeah. ir, like, irritable and they just you can just tell that they don't they haven't got the words they don't they do care they do care yeah but they just don't just don't know how to approach it so because think, that's probably a social thing isn't it it's a, yeah. it's a society thing because yeah them yeah. As yeah. And well, you know, at school, we were never, uh, we went to the same school. Yeah. We were never taught about mental health. No Whether way. it's changed now, I don't know. But certainly when I was at school at Clough Hall in the 90s, it was never, ever, mental health was never discussed because it was kind of, oh, he's just a bit stressed. Yeah. Or he's, he's, he's just a naughty kid. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what I got. Just a naughty kid. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't naughty. I was just mischievable. You know, bit, bit, a bit of mischief now and again. So, <laughs> but to be fair, there was a certain math teacher. You might remember this woman. Yeah, I don't I know. Want, you're going to yeah, say. I'm not. I'm not going to say a name. Wow. Good or bad? Bad. She used to, she used to, fuck, <laughs> she used to fucking hate me, and I didn't even have it for maths. So I, I started rebelling against her, yeah, big time. 
So I'd walk past the classroom with the windows. Yeah. And you know the li- you know the lift that you do where you push and then you 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 duck down. Yeah. yeah. You just do that. <laughs> you used to you used to do the stairs. I used to knock on the window and then walk down the stairs. <laughs> Every time I walked past their class, I had to do something. It's funny, you know, because I was in um, Marks and Spencer's one Christmas getting a birthday present. Yeah. And I'm walking through and I turn around and she's there. Oh, my God. And I must have been like a 30-odd-year-old policeman, a grown man, and straight away, you I was a one-year-old kid, so I just <laughs> myself because she was there. She, yes. she looked exactly the same. Wow. <laughs> was she that bad that she put that oh, much fear into you? Oh, man. She was a nightmare. Yeah. Nightmare. And I remember year 11, the last year, my last day at school, I um, I did something to a car, right? Get her car. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I um, I, I went down to the to the art rooms. Uh, we were police officer here, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I'll take yeah. these out. <laughs> I went down to the art rooms. Got got some like ball of cotton and fluff with different colours um, and I stuck it to a car wheels all around the car wheels <laughs> oh man last day of, last day of my school day was like the teachers that I loved and enjoyed being with you know I loved them good there uh, there's a certain English teacher that I really looked really liked got on with uh, there was a certain engineer teacher that I got on with, but didn't really go to these classes. I just used to go across um, the park and play football instead. Uh, but the maths teachers, for some reason, were absolute arseholes. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you can remember a certain science teacher, quite a small dude. Yeah, I love uh, that. I love. What's I, love, I love that guy. Love what, that what, guy. Where did you work? It's been knocked down now, mate. Uh, which it's best anymore? Clawful, it was. <laughs> it's the King's College now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the King. It's the Church of England now. Mm. Oh, man. It belongs to the Church of England, but school yeah, days, mate, I, I didn't do much work. I enjoyed them, but I wished I'd I wished I'd have put my head down a bit more and got on with my work. Yeah. But at the time, the teachers that were there just basically couldn't control me. Do you think that takes a big part as well in in in, in education of like kids, teachers? Like obviously, if you get teachers like that, you get kids that probably don't don't even want to go into college or schools and do yeah. their best. Well, after after I left high school. Because I had that many bad experiences with teachers, I went to college, um, and I lasted about four weeks. One well, you just couldn't do it. I just couldn't. I just couldn't at being in a classroom with teachers, and then I ended up getting an apprenticeship. Um, but there was a certain music teacher as well at Cloughall. It was an absolute bitch, and I. <laughs> she's full on me honest to god 
obviously nightmare. Absolutely well, I didn't know music with her, so I, she was all right with me. Nah, 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 not with me, mate. Not with me. <laughs> See, it's like it's these little mental scores. That yeah, I, yeah. That you know what I mean. That affect you throughout throughout your life as you continue it. So college yeah. college for me didn't didn't work out. I tried two. I went six form college, lasted about a week because I was at the same. It was at the same high school. That yeah. I, I'm not not sticking around here. Went college, nah, couldn't do it. So I just went straight into an apprenticeship. Started work, start started working from sixteen. It goes back to what we've been talking about about how important this is. How yeah. Go back yeah. to what Andy said yeah. So much experience in the police, yeah. A grown man, yeah. Left school, God knows how long ago. Yeah. Bumped into a teacher, and then boom! All of a sudden, you was just sort of like panicking, and it's due to the scars up here. Yeah, yeah. And this is a police officer who has got so much control. Obviously, someone else. Wouldn't even see it like that. You just forgot about who you were or what you've lived. But what she installed up here and what she made you go through. Yeah. And then like all of a sudden, like, no, nah, I can't deal with it. Like, like you're right, yeah. miss. Mm. Missus, miss. Like it's it needs to be taken care of a bit more. Yeah. Dan grew up, I think he was four doors down the street from me. Um and we kind of grew up in this. It wasn't this the, the suburbs of the 1980s and 1990s where no one was different. No. Um, mental health, stuff like that, and difference wasn't celebrated. Um, and, and, you know, I remember being at school, constantly being confused. I'm, I'm a gay man, being confused about my sexuality. Yeah. Couldn't talk to anybody about it because you'd got teachers like that who were vile. Yeah, you'd got no room. You've got no or very very few role models really um, to sort of talk to or be open and honest with. Yeah, and I think for a lot of kids, regardless of sort of your background or where you were in your mind. It was a really tough time because, like you say, Dan, the, there was nothing there to support you and the way you felt and the way you behaved at the time. But even though I might have been classed as one of the swatty kids, I still felt as though I never fitted in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that that stays with you, that does. Yeah. Well, it oh, certainly definitely. did me. Yeah, it definitely does. You know, this Stay. feeling that... Say I've my mum. No one like me. Yeah. Say uh, my mum pulled uh, my old uh, school reports out the other day. I haven't. I haven't seen them. I haven't, I haven't read them. Don't need to. But like, they're all, they're all the same. Like they're all, all every, every year is the same. Nothing. Nothing had changed. Yeah. There's no. There's no progression in your behaviour. You know. There's no improvement there. You know. Still. Still getting detentions. You know, still sitting in inclusion, just looking at a mm. fucking plain wall. 
with a piece of paper and a textbook that you had to copy out. So, yeah. And you sort of think, well, what did the, what did those teachers do to try and change it? Yeah, they just stuck me in a fucking room. That's yeah. it. Just get, just get, just get these kids out of the equation. Yeah, that's that's it. And to be fair, I used to love, I used to love English. I loved history. Yeah, I loved music. Like the passion for I had for music was massive. You know, I played the drums, guitar. Mm. I was in bands, so music was like one of the main main subjects for me. So that's where I wanted. That's what I did. I wanted a career in, mm. but it didn't work out. So when when I was at high school, I was thinking, well, what's what's the fucking point in trying? Mm. And there was we had a we did have a head of year who was he was pretty good. Uh, any any time I wanted bolt out of class because teacher was being an absolute twat to me. I mean, I'll give you an example now, right? I was the only person to do my own work. Everybody else in the class didn't do their own work. My own work was wrong. I got a 30-minute 30, 30 detention for doing my own work wrong, and no one else in the class got detention who didn't even do the fucking own work. How's <laughs> that make sense? Exactly. So so for, for a, a teenage lad thinking, I've done my own work, and I've just got detention because it was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Your chair went straight across the fucking room and I just went out. Couldn't, couldn't just, I think I did the right thing by getting out the room. I probably shouldn't have thrown, thrown my chair across the room. But I think that anger towards high school was just, it was quite high. And I think it still yeah. is. It still is. I still get pissed off talking about it. And they thought that's your foundation for your adult life. Yeah. If it's a foundation isn't strong, yeah. anything you build on it yeah. has weakened. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. So I, I, that, that's why it is important. And it perhaps is different in schools now. Um, and they probably do talk more about uh, <laughs> you know, mental health and yeah. different types of families and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Which is only a good thing. Yeah, I know from having uh, kids of my own, uh, their primary schools are pretty good with mental health now. Yeah. Um, and I've one of my old primary school teachers is um, now a head teacher at a primary school. And she rang me a few months ago because uh, I think I put, um, put something out there on my socials about, you know, mental health needs to be spoken mm. more about in, in primary schools. Um, and she rang me and she explained what their school does and it was amazing like they've got yeah. a, they've got a separate team like a separate unit in the school that deals with mental health and that's it that's all they yeah. do so if if a teacher comes to him and says i'm a bit concerned about this child they'll pull they'll pull him out and they'll have a chat with him and get get down to the bottom of it. i think it's amazing yeah. so that it is make. it is getting better yeah it is getting a lot better but I think there's still a lot more that society needs to do big time. Yeah. So but then things like this group are a massive aid to that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And yeah, I think especially it, for men my age and above. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's that it's that era, isn't it? It's that yeah, era yeah. that we've grown up in. Yeah. Like like you've you explained it earlier that that 
80s, 90s time where there was a lot of judgment and you, you, you felt like you needed to just hide them emotions and just just crack on with things, so they say. Just crack on, mate. Just crack on. Yeah. That's it's like in, back in those times, you were just teaching adults yeah. like bubble things. Because like, we've discussed it before, kids, yeah, like, kids are kids, but in the end, we're not raising kids. We're raising adults. And yeah. and you're teaching them how to bottle things on from, from a young age. And then you just... Yeah, it's not good. You need to teach them how to be open and and how to just be honest with their feelings. And because I'm, I'm I'm sure you guys, I think we all have had it when you was a kid and you cried, and then all of a sudden, oh, only girls cry, or oh, only yeah. girls and things like that. Like, yeah. All of a sudden, I can't cry. I'm crying. If I'm crying, I'm going to hide. If I'm going to hide, if I'm hurt, I'm going to hide. If I if I'm really moaning, I'm going to be like, mm-hmm. but don't hear me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, you're, you're preparing adults to 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 bottle everything up. Preparing them to just suffer on that quietly, like especially like men. Yeah, and it's interesting you say that because now I really struggle to cry. Probably now you've said that because of um, people saying stuff like that. So you almost spend your entire time being emotionally numb. Yeah, yeah. I, I I I don't cry. I, I do, uh, I do cry, but I find it hard to, like you do, Andy. I find it really hard to cry. Doesn't mean I don't care, but for the past what, since I've started opening up more about me issues and helping other people, I have felt that my, um, I'd say emotional intelligence has got a lot better. Yeah. Um, because I mean, the other day, I was. I was in the bath and I was just flicking through TikTok videos and this really sad one come up. I just started fucking crying. <laughs> just started crying. I cried quite like, if I go cry now, I cry, man. Can you turn it on? Like, it, it will get to a point where my emotions will get on top of me, like, where I'll get so stressed out and I've got, I'm thinking about so many things and everything's happening so quick. <laughs> Yeah, and it gets to the point where it just hit me, and then I just freeze, and then I start crying. Yeah, so yeah, then- well, that kind of that's what happened with me at um, the last job I went to before I went sick um, was a fatal, um, and I remember standing. It wasn't even a gruesome fatal. This it was an old chap, and I, and I think he had he had some sort of medical episode at the wheel and just then died. Oh no! So you know there wasn't a spot of blood or anything. Yeah. But I remember kind of standing in the middle of this scene with the camera tripod, taking randomly rubbish photos. Yeah. And think and thinking I I don't know what I'm doing. I've had completely sort of frozen and and my mind had completely shut down. And the lad who I was with. <clears throat> Where we've never spoken about it actually, and and whether he could see that something was going wrong, yeah, because um, he just sort of came up to me and um, took the camera off me. Didn't say anything. Carried on taking photos, but um, my mind, I think, had just completely gone. It had just shut down 
yeah it's the only way i can describe it yeah yeah how was your obviously how was your family react to that like uh, your husband and obviously you've got you've got a kid as well yeah. so how, how was family life being after that um did, did you find it difficult being around them or no oddly it's a lot better yeah um because you're a lot well i'm certainly more open now yeah um and and kind of weirdly i i wouldn't change any of it yeah because i'm and i'm glad i can't i'm glad i went through it some of the stuff that happened over the years you know especially i suppose around the loss of my mum yeah i wish never happened but I, I kind of wouldn't be where I am or what I am now without any of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. That's, I think, Monty, you've said it before, we we grow with pain, don't we? Yeah, through pain we grow, man. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was uh, talking to somebody on your, on the Man United webpage. And, yeah. Um, and kind of said, everything that's kind of gone wrong over the years, it's the building blocks that have made me what I am now. Yeah. Which sounds yeah. cheesy, I know, but it's true at the same time. No, it is true. It is true. It is true because um, I, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now with all the mental health side if I hadn't been through what I've been through. So everyone's yeah. um, experiences... They they count they count for a lot, yeah. And it's I wouldn't say it's building that resilience. It's more of building your personality. That's yeah. what it's doing. That it's is bit, so true. Yeah, it's bit, so It's built. It, <laughs> I come over, brother. No, um, yeah, it's just building your your personality and who you are. And in a way, I think I'm a much better person for it, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm more empathetic, especially with, you know, some of the stuff we deal with at work. If I'm talking to a bereaved family. Yeah. Albeit the bereavements have been in completely different ways. Yeah. And say, well, I kind of know what you're feeling. Um, Yeah. Mental health jobs. um, I can say, I know. Yeah. Because I'm there myself. Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah, I just think he, I'm I'm so much more an open person now than I yeah. than I ever was. Yeah, it's probably a lot of it because of all of this. Yeah, and you know, as you get older, you you learn more, don't you, as you go on in life. But yeah, I become um, a bit more wiser. Yeah, and I but, think it's what you you're scared of what people are going to think of you as well. Yes, yeah, I think. I mean, I spent my entire life up until probably god 30 odd yeah worried about what other people think um yeah. to the point you know where even when i was getting married um seven years ago i kind of wasn't looking forward to it yeah because yeah, yeah. oh god you know people will see two blokes getting married what will they think yeah. Know, yeah weird paranoia in the back of my mind yeah but then I thought, well, everyone we've invited is our family and friends anyway, so they don't 
they don't see that. They just see two people getting married. Yeah, yeah. They see the happiness, don't they? And yeah, whereas I couldn't because I'd almost been pre-programmed to think, shit, I've got to hide this. I've got to... Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Especially in the police. You know, when I first joined the police, it was, you know, it wasn't the dumb thing. Yeah. I suppose it's like, uh, like the police and uh, the military people look at, at them I would say they're organisations but uh, it's very what's the word very like very powerful you know you got yeah. very strong yeah uh, very like they say very manly environments and stuff like that but it's not no or every individual is different yeah I mean I would imagine Football is where policing was 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, where are your openly gay football players? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, I don't, I, that, it's a very male uh, environment, football is, but so is rugby, but you've got openly gay rugby players. Yeah. Policing is, but we've now got openly gay police officers at all ranks. Yeah. Um, and I, I interesting that football sort of lags behind and I don't know why football lags behind and I would say in a lot of departments in a lot of departments man obviously things are getting better doing things slowly but it's in every department it's just I think it's so behind I don't care what anyone tells me you you can talk about obviously what you just said about being openly gay uh, when it comes to the abuse, when it comes to uh, like all this racism stuff, and like their things they stand up for in football, sometimes makes no sense. Mm. Like when the European thing was about to happen, yeah, you see what case that would happen? How they managed to stop it? Yeah, then other cases like it's just so wrong and so weird that. Someone, because I, I bet in football there is people who are like, who are gay. Oh, but definitely. Themselves, but themselves, yeah. but a mental state sometimes, they don't even, they're not open until they retire. Yeah. And I, I've known it to a few people I've played with that they would stop playing football or they wait until the retirement to be able to just be free. Mm. And it's upsetting because, and then it, it comes it comes a lot with just the opposite, like the fans. Uh, fans, oh my goodness, the fans in football are just ruthless. So a lot of players probably the who are gay would love to come out would love to speak and but then if that what are they gonna say when I'm playing football what like what chance I'm gonna get and things like that and I think it's so upsetting and it's and it's unfair. Like I know I I could relate to an extent with what you're saying about you Andy because my cousin is gay as well and he put a front in, in front of the family to me when I used to speak to him about normal things, because I didn't know he was he was gay. So I'm there speaking to him about normal things, and he's 
pointed front and hiding his emotion. And I'm like, okay, so all this time I'm thinking, yeah, he's he's just like like me, straight. He likes his obviously I'm not saying gay people ain't straight, but they're straight in their own way. Yeah. And so when he when he got to the point where he opened up and I'm thinking and I even asked him, have you had this feeling, this emotion throughout your whole life? And he was like, yes, yeah, since I was a kid. And I was like, so why have you just front and you've never been open with me? Like, we chill so much and we do a lot of things together and you've never been so open. Like, and it was just because of the family, because of friends. And, and I was just like, because of he, what he did as a job. And I think you, oh man. Yeah, a lot, a lot of these things. You know, twenty twenty one, and people feel like they can't be their authentic self. Still, it's mad. Yeah, it's mad, it man. is mad. It is mad. And it's getting better, but yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely getting. And I think better. in football, you've you've got to have that one sort of pioneer that that uh, comes out and. But it's happened before in the past, hasn't it? Just in fashion. No, I think that before it happened where someone's come out and he, he had he didn't go well. He didn't end yeah. well. So imagine if whoever is like that in football and wants mm-hmm. to come out, then he, he could be having flashbacks from whatever happened to the individual that did come out mm-hmm. or whoever did come out or whatever level they were playing and what was the outcome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That would be pain in someone's mind. Yeah. Because I see it obviously like when, when you're watching football and that, and then like, it's like the women's football and how open they are in their sport. And you get you get you get some of them in relationships with other females and how open they are with their relationship on social media and how well he's respecting, how well he's taking. So imagine a guy playing football comes out and says that and he's putting a picture of his, mm-hmm. his partner. The amount of memes and abuse this individual is going to get, yeah, I think it's fair. I think it'll only take one really, really high-profile football player to crack it, though. Yeah, to do it. Yeah, you'll have to be a high-profile player. Yeah, Ronaldo. Imagine. Yeah, someone, someone at that kind of stature, I think would crack it. Mm. But. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see what we'll see what brings. See, see what comes. See what comes about. Yeah. Never know what's going to happen. It might happen tomorrow. A really high-profile footballer comes out with the big news tomorrow. The fact that you have to come out. Yeah. 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 The fact that you can just be yourself. Yeah. Did yeah. you come out as a straight man? I come out as me. I am straight. I don't have to exactly. I come out. Uh, I come out as me. Exactly. Whatever me is. But I think it's again, it's society, isn't it? Society. Society's put words in how they word things. It's like yeah. he's come out gay. You know that press. But, yeah. <laughs> It's interesting in the press as well, because if you read an article about... I was reading one uh, in the Daily uh, Mail about um, George Michael's will and how yeah. his ex-partner is being given a certain percentage of his will. And and it, it wasn't written as his ex-partner or his partner or whatever. 
it was his gay lover. Gay lover, yeah, I remember. Yeah. No, it's his partner. Yeah. So it's just it's all it's all about language and the language that we use. Yeah. And I see. Yeah, it's still it's still happening now because you look at all the social media sites, you know, you've got you've got young kids calling each other gay on there. Yeah. It happens, man. It happens. Yeah. Oh, you're you're gay or you're you're a lesbian. Yeah. These yeah. young these young eight year old, ten year old kids. And most of them probably don't even know what it means. No. Until they get to a stage in their life when they understand yeah. what it means. And then imagine they grow up to be that person who they were abusing, for example. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then what then? That's yeah. why I think, and we've said it before, a lot of these things, obviously, in it, it stems from yeah, society, but majority, obviously, our own households. Yeah. yeah, that's where it stands from, and that's where the conversations have got to be comfortable. The conversations have got to be open. The conversations have got to be honest. And yeah. that's about me or Mrs. With the little lad, we are so open with him. He's only four years old, and he knows the right name for every part of his body. He knows everything. Yeah, not not this this butterfly, this twinkle, this no. This is it. This is what. This is that. This is his and. It's the way I think you have to be moving forward because at least they'll understand things. If something, like say that, something's going wrong, at least he knows. He ain't going to come home and say, oh, so-and-so was playing my butterfly or with my twinkle or with my, or with my Pete or with my whatever. Mm. It's then from home. You have to be open and have the conversations with your kids, man, where you tell them, you don't, you don't force them be someone you want them to be you let yeah. them be what they want to be and make them feel comfortable with them coming to you and tell you daddy mommy whatever nanny yeah. granddad i like this i like that yeah i prefer this i prefer that rather than no you gotta be that you gotta be this you gotta do that no i think it's bullshit yeah i remember having when when my my first child was due to be born uh, one of my mates said what if she turns gay? He said he said this to me. We're in the pub. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, well, what would you do if she turned gay? If if uh, another she brought a girlfriend home? I was like, Well, what would you do? Yeah. He's like it's if 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 that if that's what happens, you know, that's that's their choice. Not I'm not here to judge anyone. On the sexuality, no. you know, I've it's it's. I was like, what kind of questions that? And to be fair, I've not heard of him for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't, but it's it's stuff like that. I've, I watched the debate. Uh, actually, I didn't watch it. I was listening to a debate on a podcast. Um, basically, they have people phoning in on these debates, and um, one guy said, um, basically, the question was, are uh, was I born gay or was I or did I turn gay basically uh, so it's are you are you born gay I think it could be both you know Obviously, I'm, I'm, I, I'm I, I'm born I was just born 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, you're just born, I think. And then yeah. I think from experiences and what you see and how you grow up, I think then you make a decision yeah. on what yeah. you see and how your feelings are. It's like I, I find... I you make a decision. It's just... Yeah. No, no. It's how you me, as natural as breathing. Like yeah, yeah. Yeah, just, just, just happens. Like when you, when, when you're at a certain age and you start either getting attracted to women or yeah. male or both, that's down to the, the person's needs, isn't it, really? That's what I, I needed. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it just goes back, obviously, to what we do as humans anyway. Like, yeah. we're not, I, you wasn't born an electrician. You wasn't born a police officer. I wasn't no. born a footballer or playing football. No. So it's just, like you just said, as you grow up, you're, you're attracted to this or you're attracted to that or both or... Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're happy. But then again, that conversation has got to be made from when you're a kid and making sure you make your kids feel comfortable with themselves. Yeah. It's like the... Uh, nearly six yeah uh we adopted him when he was three yeah and he, he'll grow up because i think throughout the time that we've had him we've kind of thought oh god what well, you know we've got telling he's adopted at some point we've got to do this we've got to do that yeah but actually it's kind of organically developed oh right okay uh, uh he knows he didn't live with us straight away you know he's got two dads whereas some people have a mum and dad and some people just have a mum or whatever and i think his generation of kids because we're very open with him his, yeah his generation of kids will not have any issues with any of this sort of stuff i don't think because our generation of parents are a lot different than our parents were yeah i think yeah and, you know and that's not to be derogatory to our mums and dads no it's no just just, just how it, time we're living in isn't it yeah it was just how, how it was i mean you look look back to my nana and granddad like the real old traditional ways were just absolutely hardcore man yeah hardcore like i wouldn't dream of chatting back to my granddad or nan no way no, no way but but nowadays it's changing yeah gradually it's like if if I was in primary school and one of my mates had two mums or two dads, I think at the time I, I'd be confused. Like, I, yeah. I'd 100% be thinking, why has he got two dads or why has he got two mums? Because I, like, there's no education around it. There's no knowledge at all around it. So, right. like, so like you say, I, I, I do think like with, with, my, with my girls... They are, are very open with them, because yeah, kids these days, some of vile kids, like the the, yeah. the things that they can be said in schools are absolutely vile. Yeah. Um, and I've you know I've I've been travelling back from a school run, and my daughter's gone. Such and such has um, said I'm bisexual. I'm like, okay, right. Do you know what that means? And she's like, not really, no. So have I explained to her? Or such and such, she says, I'm a lesbian. Mm. But I know what a lesbian is. I was like, okay, then what's a lesbian? 
and we have a, just a conversation, man. I don't yeah. feel I don't feel awkward. I don't feel awkward having that conversation. Why should I? I think back back when I was a kid, yeah, I, I might have been awkward because there was absolutely no knowledge or nothing was spoken. But I think right. the the L is it the LGBT community now? Yeah. Has grown and they do some amazing things. But you still you're always going to have the dickheads. Let's face oh, yeah. it. Yeah. There's always there's always going to be them absolute arseholes at these um parades that get put on who just are absolute horrible. It's always going to happen. But you know, I, I mean I was reading in the, the paper, like the Sentinel, the local paper online. Um, yeah. there was a man a male in distress at the top of a building recently. And some of the comments that people were making about him. And you sort of think you don't know the first thing about him. No, no, I I don't I don't follow. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't I don't follow that shit anymore. I can't. There's too many people that have such a negative, and they think they're being all jokey jokey with stuff. When really, it's not. Yeah, comments aren't needed, man. Big time. You know, one oh, of the sad yeah. parts of our job is we do get involved with suicides involving vehicles. Yeah. Whether the person's taken seatbelts off and driven into a tree or jumped in front of a lorry or whatever. Yeah. And some of the comments you hear people saying surrounding that incident, mm. you know, you sort of think you don't even, you don't know what that person was thinking or going through at that split second where yeah. they made oh. that decision. Yeah, I mean, we spoke about it quite often. The the mindset someone's got to be in for jump in front of a lorry or off a bridge, oh, wow. Mm. Like, talking about it just, I just got no words, man. There's a phrase, and I absolutely hate it. It's a, Oh, it's only a cry for help. Oh, well, yeah. Good. It's, yeah. That's a good thing, then. <laughs> yeah. Why are we saying that as a negative? Yeah. Because at yeah. least they are crying for help. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. That I think, is not how they get that help. <laughs> no, that's it. And I think, especially last year when lockdown kicked in, um, there was a hell of a lot of people that we were helping um, off the bridges along the A50 and the A500. Yeah. Um, it, it was a really difficult time because I remember driving met the, the flyover in Festival Park. Yeah. Um, I was driving driving towards that and I, I saw this woman on top and she'd climbed over the she'd climbed over the barrier. Cars were stopping. Um but luckily, there was a police car coming over the flyover. So they'd stopped. And then next minute, there must have been about five police cars and an ambulance. But I was sitting there. I couldn't move because the traffic was stopped. I was sitting there and I saw people with the phones out. Videos, photos, whatever. Yeah. But I was sitting there and he instantly just for you know what the fuck you know all these people with phones out 
I mean, I, I was We've part... We've before loads yeah. of times. That, you know, we're at scenes where the deceased can still be See, there. Yeah. And they're there with their iPhone hanging over a bridge filming you or Fuck the worst is when the press turn up and you know I, we've had to tell photographers from the press to you know go knob off yeah I mean, have, I mean, give that person some dignity yeah dignity and respect it's just yeah. not not there so like you've got, you've got to be a complete oh, I don't even know what to say I mean, to, to do such a thing in regards of like you see disgusting and he just the first thing that comes into your head is, let me get my phone out so I can get a picture. So what are you going to do with that picture? How is that going to help you benefit your mental state? Yeah. We've had it before where we um, had a, a lad killed in a car and um, it, he was a passenger in the car, so it wasn't registered to him and we didn't, he'd got no ID on him. So we didn't necessarily know who we, we weren't a hundred percent sure on who he was, his identity, yeah. and his mom found out because someone had put a, fo- a, a photo on Facebook. No way, taken from a bridge, uh, and she recognised the car, and you sort of think, "What the fuck?" You can't stop, rewind, and do that all over again. No. She, that's her life now that she found out about her son's death from some arse on Facebook. Wow. Why would you even think of doing it? I've I, I got no words for shit like that. It's like I spoke to someone a few weeks ago and they were, they were on about um, like likes that people want on the social media. They want as many likes as possible. Yeah. Um, and I'm afraid to say shit like that gets attention. Yeah. It's just sick attention. Yeah. Abuse, abuse, sick things, violent. It yeah. gets more attention than you being kind, loving, and caring for someone. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dream of getting my phone out when someone's on a bridge wanting to kill themselves. And or if I, you did, it would be to ring Travel Nine, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be well, to yeah. film them. That's know? it. I mean, I was quite f- quite far back. Um, and I was thinking, why aren't people that have stopped underneath the bridge getting out the cars and giving her a bit of vocal support? Yeah. Instead of sitting in the car with the phone out. Mm. But from from where from where I was, the police had got it pretty quick no i don't know if i don't know if the call was the call was made like but as soon as i turned the corner and saw the bridge in the distance there was a police car coming over so i don't know if the call was made or what but it was pretty quick and they they got her down but but then but then all, all day after i was thinking you know she's going end up going to the local harplands the mental hospital She'll have an assessment, and then she'll probably be out in a few hours, because that's why that's what happens. Yeah, that's what happens. I'm afraid that is what happens. Yeah, but I want to want to thank you for your time, bro. It's been it's no been problem, a good bro. good a good chit chat, good chit chat, and I and I know we, um, you still try and recruit me for the police. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've I'm, had... I'm, I'm available. 
Brilliant. Scottish place for you. <laughs> but now we're... Before we go, yeah, we've had a conversation about how do you approach right, a conversation with someone who might need help? So the end is between you two, obviously, I'm not, I'm not going to get involved. Oh, God. How would you... How would you approach someone that you like visibly you see you see that they need help? How would you approach them? Just so someone listening or watching can maybe take some notes and advice on how they can maybe help someone that might need the help. I think it's are you okay? How are you? Yeah. Two questions. Yeah. Um and, uh, and be prepared for the answer as well, because the answer might be something you don't want to hear. But yeah, be prepared for it and then be prepared to support that person. I think just be honest and open and empathetic with them. Yeah. Because that's what I had. Yeah. Um, and that's how I am with, you know, anyone I, I have any dealings with. But be honest and open. Um, and caring and empathetic and all the other words that go with it but yeah um it's so important to show that you care yeah definitely and be genuine about it not like you know a fake yeah facebook are you okay hon you've got to be genuine about it yeah yeah i think yeah i think for me as well yeah it's asking them straight away if they're okay and if they say yeah i'm okay it's like well are you sure got anything to talk yeah. about you know we can i've got time like and like yeah. like like andy said you've got to be prepared like yeah. you could you could be there for a 15 minute chat you could be there for a two-hour chat yeah but then if they do tell you things that are quite traumatic you've then got to look after yourself by going away yeah even even now if i've spoke to someone and they've given me like a really traumatic story about what what's happened in their life, and then they they they're fine now and they've they've gone and whatever. I'll still carry that, so I'll go home then and I'll tell my wife. I'll be like, listen, I've spoke to spoke to someone today and they've you know they've hit me with a pretty pretty um, sad story. It's like yesterday I had a phone call off a lady. Who wants to help Man United give a donation? Um, she basically messaged the page and just said, uh, "Can you get in touch with me?" So I rang her. Um, real, real lovely woman. We had a good conversation. Uh, turns out that she lost a brother. Uh, so then, stuff like that. It's like unexpected conversations. You've got got to be ready for them, man. You've got yeah. to be ready for them. You really have. But if anyone is struggling, we've got Samaritans, which is 116123. You can give them a bell. They're doing some amazing stuff. And if you if you don't want to talk over the phone, you can text um, Shout, which is 85258. So you can text Shout. Um I've not used their services before, but I I do believe um, a few people that I know have, and 
they've developed massively and that's a massive step and also I have like we did last week and the week before I've got a video to end on let's go so Andy thanks for your time bro honestly it's been it's been lovely speaking with you cheers and you um, keep keep doing what you're doing you know keep talking keep working hard and uh, you never know one day I might be in the uniform <laughs> you never know keep being yourself man yeah cheers keep being yourself and then it's been a pleasure your stories what you've been through your journey it's been a hell of a roller coaster this episode but amazing thank cheers. you so thank much. you let's watch this video now let's go recycle your pain because what you're going to discover as you're going towards your dream as you're going towards your goal there are going to be so many people that come up against you so many obstacles so many trials so many tribulations and when people ask me et like for real for real e i know you can give me 20 things that you've done to help yourself to become successful but et i just need like one or two can you give me one or two and one of the things i tell people is i outlasted the pain I outlasted the pain. When I was sleeping in those abandoned buildings, I kept telling myself, one day you'll be a homeowner. Every time I walked into that abandoned building, I told myself that this might be your current circumstances, but this will not be how the story ends. All you have to do, E.T., is to survive today. Survive today. I knew that I would not be a high school dropout for the rest of my life. I knew I got to get through this one day. And so every single day when I wake up homeless, one day, every single day when I woke up in that abandoned building, one day, one day is going to be ET's day, but that day can't come if I give up today. So every single day when I woke up, I kept telling myself, today might not be the day, but soon it will be my day and I will recycle my pain. What will you do with your pain? Will you let it break you or will you let it redefine you? I will not go down that way. I choose to fight back. I choose to rise, not fall. I choose to live, not die. You keep standing. No matter how rough the sea, you keep standing. No matter what you don't give up, you keep standing. This is not time to quit. We might be discouraged, but we're not defeated. This is not our time to give up. We thrive in the discipline. We thrive under problems. We thrive under stress. That's what we do. We are acquainted with sorrow. We are acquainted with grief, but we rise. You're gonna have some hard times. There are gonna be difficulties. Eric, things are not going the way I planned. If success was easy, everybody would do it. When you get knocked down and you're gonna get knocked down, when you run into some roadblocks and you're gonna run into them, when you have some setbacks, you can always be able to bring yourself back in knowing if someone has done it, it's possible that I can do it. It's necessary, ladies and gentlemen. When you're working on your dream, that you learn how to handle rejection, that you become empowered by it. That don't let it stop you. Most people, when they hear no or they're rejected, it takes their power away. And they become discouraged. They lose their spirit. They lose their energy. They stop. No, no. 
I can tell you, ladies and gentlemen, it's necessary to face a lot of rejection, a lot of no's. I don't have any college training. I don't have any credentials. It was necessary that I face a lot of rejection, a lot of laughter, a lot of no's in order to get here. It was necessary that I face that. And I'm saying to you, when you're facing those rejections day in and day out, don't say, I had a bad day today. Say, I had a character-building day. No guts, no glory. You've got to be willing to face rejection and no again and again and again. Defeat again and again and again. And every time life knocks you down, you jump up and say, it's not over until I win. Podcast with Bids and Monty.